Hey, welcome to Bo Knows Health. We're a little out of order on the episodes catching up, and I feel I feel guilty that I've been uh, not jumping on these uh, episodes. I've had them; they're on my YouTube, but I haven't released them here. So if you guys subscribe here, um, I apologize. I haven't put this out sooner because this is this particular one is one of my favorite conversations. One of my old teammates from Reebok CrossFit Fifth Avenue. We were teammates going to regionals back when that was a thing in CrossFit where we would compete together in the sport of fitness. Um, someone I was very lucky to come across a, the path of, Brooke Seam, uh, wrote a book called May Cause Side Effects about her struggle with depression, going on antidepressants, coming off antidepressants, and everything kind of around that. Uh, very, very fascinating story. Um, I tried not to, to hog the story because it's out there. She's she's all over the place. She was a, a chopped champion, if you like that cooking show, all that good stuff. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. I got, I just, I, I'd love to do more of these with amazing humans like Brooke. Um, and I think this is a, a very, very vital issue. A lot of folks that we end up seeing in physical therapy, personal training, all this stuff we end up talking about with a lot of my guests um, are folks are dealing with a lot of these mental health things uh, underneath, or it's not the kind of conversations we're having. And I think this country overall has, has a problem with uh, mental health. Uh, we just recorded one of my other shows, Demand Better Podcast, where uh, we talked about mental health struggles with a life coach and, and how life coaching is another way to look at uh, some of these uh, solutions, hopefully, and finding a path in between that maybe will help get us there because um, the medication path is, is one that I'm, I've always been against. Uh, it has its place, but yes, we need to have a better conversation about it um, where Brooke tells a great version of that story. So hopefully you guys get a great perspective here. Again, just... Um, such a great story. Go get her book, May Cause Side Effects. And without further ado, go subscribe, share it with someone, and here we go. It, 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 there it goes. All right, here we go. We are live. Uh, no intro walkout music. Sorry, Brooke. Uh, you don't get that. We can, we can do a walkout music, maybe? Walk at, at the end. Uh, walk in, walk out. Anyway, uh, I am joined. Welcome to Bono's Health. Bye. Brooke Seam, author of May Cause Side Effects. We'll pop that little graphic up real quick. Boom, author of May Cause Side Effects. Um, I'll just real quick intro. Uh, Brooke is joining us from Nevada, Reno, Nevada. Uh, I know Brooke from Reebok CrossFit Fifth Ave. And it was really interesting, uh, I have to say, doing the research for this. I listened to a bunch of your interviews. You did one with a uh, weightlifting coach. Uh, I forgot his name. But uh, you, you trying to... and it's my own ego, obviously, but you trying to remember details about like going to regionals and competing, which we did together. Um, I was like, yeah, that's all wrong. Like what, why is it all wrong? And then, um, the fact that what we're talking about here and what your book talks about is, mm -hmm, is, is being on. And, and, and that's the part that's super interesting to me as someone who knew you during this time and didn't know. And, and we just, we're not going to know people's struggles um behind the scenes and that's kind of the the one of those like i think modern day like hey everyone's going through their own thing and it's mm -hmm. a little cliche but like to share it um is, is pretty powerful stuff so um just finishing my intro and, and i want to let you take the spotlight here because uh just so many cool cool aspects of this um this is a brooke's second book may cause side effects her first book was 
the Prohibition Bakery, which uh, she opened with her partner and details uh, excruciatingly how, how terrible of a relationship that was an experience. But she brought us very, very tasty cupcakes, one of my favorite dining experiences in New York City. Um, unfortunately, no longer there. Uh, but Boozy Cupcakes um, is now a thing. I've seen it in other places. Uh, so Boozy Cupcakes, I I'm going to give Brooke credit for being the first person to ever uh, be the Boozy Cupcake person. So I guess you and your partner, whose you, name you never, you never do mention her name, I don't think. I don't. There's a lot of strategy in memoir writing. <laughs> Um, and that's the other thing too, I want to say before we, uh, dive a little deeper is if anyone want, it just enjoys reading. Uh, this is one of the best written memoirs. I, I think I've had the chance to read in a very, very long time, if not ever. And, and yes, and Brooke, and, and I, we've known you're, you're an excellent author. Uh, even, even when, uh, we did know each other in, in New York city, like, uh, you did writing for CrossFit and with Kekka and, and things like that. So, uh, for, for the CrossFit website. So again, very, very detailed and uh again one of our other mutual friends jenny blake who i had her on my podcast a few episodes ago you've been on her podcast a few times um she highlighted the fact that like your, your ability to recall some of these things like it is just it's 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 really impressive and i know this was six years in the making at least yeah the the whole story started about six years ago kind of started in roughly january march of 2016 and then the whole writing process and whatnot culminated with publication on September 6th of this year, 2022. Very, very fun sounding. And my wife just published a book as well about the, uh, this, the integrated guide to penetrative disorders. Uh, <laughs> a lot, a lot less of a fun read, uh, very graphic in a different way. Um, <laughs> also very necessary. And that's the thing I want to highlight here is, is listening to you talk on all these other, um, platforms, whether it's YouTube and, and, uh, different podcasts and just trying to get your message out there. Um, the really big thing here, guys, and and honestly, you, we, I probably should have invited you on my other podcast. Maybe we'll have you on there as well. The Demand Better podcast. And I think that's what my takeaway from this whole thing is we need to demand better from mm -hmm. the psychiatry field, from the healthcare space mm -hmm. for folks here. And I want to kind of summarize my takeaway from the book in, in one uh, little quote I think I heard you on another podcast say is, you can cope with depression. You can choose to cope with depression. You can choose to cope with antidepressants because they have their own kind of negative thing, or you can really just address and get to the heart of the problem. Um, and that's the way I structure my business physically as a physical therapist and, and, and the fitness space. But I do want to just say, and, and th is that enough of an elevator pitch of, of what you're, you're trying to get out there? That, that kind of three lines? Uh, I, the elevator pitch for this book has been difficult from day one because at the, what the book is about in the most straightforward way, it's about a book about my year in severe antidepressant withdrawal. I had been put on antidepressants when I was 15, right after my father passed away, and I spent the next decade and a half on the same cocktail of drugs. That was generally pretty pretty much unregulated by the doctors I was seeing. No one ever questioned it. And then when I was 30, I decided to an opportunity dropped into my lap and I decided to get off the drugs and figure out who I was unmedicated. And my whole world kind of exploded as I went into withdrawal. Um, it's not a very, it's not a very, it's a, it's a, I'm really proud of the book. I know it's written really well and it's a really important story. I run into so many people um, across all walks of life who've experienced something similar um, very often to a greater degree even than I did. 
But despite that, it is still really difficult to actually get this message out there because it's controversial. Um, it's political. It shouldn't be, but it is. And it's it's a bit of a struggle there. So the elevator pitch is a little longer than I would like it to be. But <laughs> the best one I heard is like Eat, Pray, Love meets a recovery memoir, which is kind of right, kind of not. It's not, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and um, the other way I would I would summarize it in in like one sentence is it takes five minutes to prescribe antidepressants and it takes years to to get off. And again, for anyone uh, who wants to check out the book, uh, it, it really is that journey uh, of of just it's such a unique sharing uh, and done so well that again, like I I really do hope uh, you know, it could be turned into a movie based on how, you know, descriptive you are and, and things like that. And, and so, uh, and again, leading up to this, uh, sharing with a few of my clients and folks and, and they're like, Oh, like I, I suffer from, or I'm on antidepressants and I've, I've been worried about this, or I know someone going through it. Um, and again, going and doing the research on this, uh, any of, any of the like YouTube videos you've been on, uh, you know, you see like, 30 random comments that, you know, you normally don't see, Oh, I'm so glad you're sharing this. Like I went through this 30 years ago, or I'm going through this mm -hmm. now. Um, and, and again, it's just one of those things that is hard to talk about. Um, and, and ultimately, yeah, it's how do you change the system? Uh, mm -hmm. the system is what it is. And one of my favorite other quotes, not from your book, but, um, is, uh, from upstream is I'll give credit to, um, Dan Heath, I believe is the author. And, uh, Every system will get the results it is designed to get because uh, it's mm -hmm. it's kind of designed that way. So, and you do uh, a, again a really good job. Uh, something I talk about, and I'm very skeptical and cynical of the healthcare systems, especially. And it's just you're in the mental health kind of piece of it a little bit less than the physical health, but it's there's so many overlaps. And again, as I was reading it, I was like, yeah, like these are really you did such a good job. And it's like unfortunate you didn't really have a single sounds like positive experience with with you know any psychiatrist and you know, you, you highlight going into their office and dealing with the secretary and the poor plant that, that, you know, never got fed um, and, and things like that. So um, it, it really is a, an excellent depiction of uh, just how broken our healthcare system is. And, uh, you know, not everyone makes it out the same way you didn't be able to have that perspective and, and have a, a loving mother that can, you know, have these kind of, uh, you know, lead you to what seemed to be one of the, the fixes. Um, uh, Alan was, was his name, right? The, uh, you want to talk a little bit about Alan? Sure. Um, so, you know, the book, the book, the book is, is tricky because I, I didn't know about antidepressant withdrawal, uh, mm. when I started going through it, it wasn't really something that was the psychiatrist I saw at the time. She was very dismissive of it. She said it would last maybe it'd be a few days of having the flu was kind of the way she put it. If I even experienced any symptoms at all, as it turned out, I suffered for about a year, uh, in, in severe withdrawal. And so I found that I needed different types of help that beyond what the current medical system could offer me. Um, there's also the additional kind of, you know, ghost in the room with psychiatry. Whereas if you, say you have you're having harmful thoughts about yourself or somebody else then they can put you on an involuntary psychiatric an involuntary psychiatric hold which is a huge threat to someone who's already feeling extremely vulnerable when it comes to uh you know their mental emotional and physical health and safety so for me and antidepressant withdrawal um i was on 37.5 milligrams of effexor which is the lowest dose you can get on the market and it has a very short half-life shorter than a lot of the other antidepressants out there, which means that 
it doesn't stay in your body very long and it exits your body in a way that's so swift, your brain just kind of goes like, woo, what happened when it's not there anymore? So the withdrawal effects for drugs with half-lives tend to be a lot more intense than ones with longer half-lives. Um, so for me, the symptoms manifested in, you know, extreme sensory overload, eyesight, hearing, physical, physical side effects. Um, my skin was very sensitive all the way to really violent intrusive thoughts that scared me because I thought maybe I was having a psychotic break or that I was schizophrenic or that I was actually crazy and needed, you know, really needed severe psychiatric help. And at the same time, I was starting to see glimpses of parts of me that I had never really noticed before. Like colors seemed brighter and I was feeling creative, not in a manic way, but just in a curious way. And, you know, I could feel like when I was laughing, occasionally I would connect with the material in a way I hadn't before. And there was just these little glimpses of like, oh my God, there's something, there's more of me underneath here that I haven't experienced once in my entire adult life. And I really wanted to discover that. But that was maybe 5% of what I was experiencing. The other 95% was hell and wondering if I was actually insane. And I was too scared to talk to my psychiatrist because of the involuntary psychiatric hold thing. Now that might not be that might not be the you know advice that most huh. doctors would give, but as a patient, it's really really scary. And I didn't trust this woman. I didn't know her. Um, I didn't have years of rapport with her, so I really had absolutely no reason to trust her at all. So I kept all this to myself, and then started seeking out alternative ways to help me through. And the person who came through for me was actually found by my mother. Uh, his name, his name was Alan. Alan, that's not his real name. I did need to change that for a variety of reasons. But um, he, he's just a practitioner of kind of almost like an Eastern and Western counseling modalities that kind of blend together. But it wasn't talk therapy. It was all done over the phone. It was entirely self-compassion based. So it was about integrating all of the broken parts of yourself about clearing them out, dealing with whatever they're trying to tell you, and then integrating them back in. And it sounds super woo-woo, and maybe it is, you know, but it doesn't really matter, right? Because I think that we focus very often on our physical body. We focus on our mental body to the extent that we can, but we really don't focus on our spiritual body. You have people who are extremely religious, who, you know, have, you know, doctrine to follow, that's one practice of spirituality, but there's also just a bigger spirituality that's for someone like me that is more just like the connection to myself and to the energy of the world and to nature and to my place in it. And I find when that's really off, when you're not feeling integrated into your surroundings, it 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 feels really um it really discombobulates you and it makes you feel very unsettled. And that for me, that was where a lot of the anxiety was coming from a lot of the depression because the bottom line is I was in a situation that was very wrong for me, but I couldn't start to see that until I started peeling back the layers through this self-compassion of understanding how I ended up there. And so that is the process that Alan allowed me to do through this particular method. And I found it extremely effective because it went, it went far deeper than, you know, tell me about your mother, you know, how did you <laughs> up? it wasn't that it wasn't Freudian. It was, based in metaphors. It was based on imagery and images and things that I could connect to beyond right. just what happened to me. It was like, okay, fine. What happened to you? But also how did the feelings then stick right. in you and you deal with the feelings? Right. 
Yeah, it's funny. My wife is a sex and relationship therapist, and on mm -hmm. one of our first dates, she she pulled out the, "How does that make you feel?" And I was like, "Oh no, we're yeah. not, we're <laughs> not, we're not doing that. Like, I'm not going to be your patient." Uh, and you know, she didn't mean it necessarily that way, and maybe mm -hmm. it was a little bit. And we still joke about that, but yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and and you know, I'll share my quick uh, story. I don't think I've really shared much else. Is during high school, I had a depressive period and saw a therapist, and uh, they they said, "Yeah, we can put you on an antidepressant." And I was like. Luckily, I think it was, it was my junior year of high school and I was in our high school, we actually had majors and I was actually majoring in social mm -hmm. sciences. So I was taking a psychology class, a sociology mm -hmm. class. So kind of had some awareness and, and I was like, I think I'm good. Like, I think mm -hmm. I just need to go through this thing, which, you know, you were 15 when you were put on them. And uh, you speak about this a lot as well of how the uh, profession, even the DSM, which is like the Bible for uh, clinicians mm -hmm. within the field. Uh, defines like, hey, how, when do you stop going through grief? Um, you know, you you went on because your father passed away. Um, uh, ironically, my father passed away when I was seven, and my my mother actually chose to not tell me for mm -hmm. seven years. I just thought they got separated, um, and I was filling out a form uh, for like football, high school football insurance, mm -hmm. and I was like, you know, you need to put your mother's and father's insurance information in case something happens. And I was like, what do I put for dad? And she was like. Uh, she has a thick Russian accent. So she said, uh, you know, uh, what, uh, a deceased. And I was like, diseased? Like he's an alcoholic. Cause, cause I was like diseased. Why would I put diseased for his insurance? I didn't know anything about insurance. I'm like, maybe there's something here. Uh, and she was like, no deceased. I was like, oh, oh, uh, so he passed away. So yeah. When did that happen? And it was like, oh, yeah, seven years ago. Okay, cool. Um, so it's a very different, obviously, uh, trauma and maybe it was you know and speaking to her later she's like i she spoke to whoever her friends were and that was kind of what they guided her to do to help this at the a time. very russian thing to do yeah yeah very russian thing to do <laughs> i guess uh so yeah if anyone's familiar with soviet culture uh <laughs> yeah yeah so our family stories along those lines where it's like really that's the information you chose to withheld Mm -hmm. and I realized it's a very cultural thing. Yeah. Yeah. I also found mm -hmm. out at 16 that my sister had a different father and like it put a lot of the pieces in place. I was like, mm -hmm. okay, cool. Um, but yeah, so, so, but back to the, the piece of like, yeah, they were like, Hey, we can put you on antidepressants. I was like, I think I'm good. I think I just like, you know, I had a, this girl broke up with me and like, I think I just, I need to deal with that. Like my, I don't mm -hmm. feel like my mother loves me enough and like, and whatever. And like, I need emotional support right now. I don't think I need mm -hmm. a pill to change the chemical structure of my brain. Like I understand how that would make me feel better right now. Uh, but the same way I think it led me to kind of what I do on the physical side of like, cool, my neck's hurting. You can crack my neck maybe. But then if we're not doing something to like strengthen my neck and change how mm -hmm. my posture is all the time uh, and address the root cause, which is where, you know, I don't want to keep making the parallels to just like, well, I feel like what I do on the physical side is, is almost is like, it, it, it's so much less important mm -hmm. than this mental health piece where again, addressing mental health stuff uh, is, is just on, you know, it's not even on par, it's apples and oranges to me. So I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't, there's no question in there, but <laughs> Well, I, I feel like um, psychiatry and me mental health, like I hate I hate the word mental health. It's just mm -hmm. become such a meaningless buzzword, but it's kind of the only thing that we really have. But um, I think one of the great pitfalls of the psychiatric profession over the past 50 years is the fact that we've tried to treat it like it's a physical ailment. I mean, the line you get all the time and the line I got was, you know, 
well, you know, you would take insulin for diabetes. So why wouldn't you take an antidepressant for depression? And that's really, really like rooted itself deep into our lexicon. And we're starting to come out of that. We're starting to come out of it a little bit. I'm seeing seeing the earliest kind of inclinations that that that's not going to hold up long term. Um, there was just that big study of kind of debunking the serotonin theory, mm-hmm, of, uh, depression, and it's again, it's not, it's actually nothing new. Most psychiatrists who are keeping up with this stuff knew that the chemical imbalance theory was kind of bullshit. Um, <laughs> but it's really convenient for the media. It's really convenient for a patient to believe that there's something happened to them, that something is wrong with them that they have no control over and that a pill will fix it. The problem is now we've just been, we've been, you know, prescribing various forms of antidepressants for about 50 years. We've been prescribing our current modern form of antidepressants more from about like the late eighties was when I think Prozac came onto the market. So we're getting to 25, 30 years. And there's, there's no arguing that our mental health is, is, way worse off than we ever were before the question of why is up for debate but it's pretty clear to me that this strategy of throwing pills at people isn't working and that we cannot compare it to you know you put a cast on when you break your leg it's not the same it is not that much of a straight line the the problems here are much deeper they're much more complex and they require significantly more agency from the individual who's experiencing it to help themselves than physical problems. And that's a really, really tough thing to get through people's heads without one, you know, people very easily get feel shamed Mm -hmm. because something happened to them or that somebody did something to them. And yes, that might be the cause, but it's still up to you as the individual to find a way out of that, that is, you know, resonant with your own compass. And we are awful about helping people find that and then allowing them to do that and then giving them a way to make a living while they do that. I mean, it's just, it's, it, it's tough, right? I mean, yeah. especially if you're dealing with, you know, like if you don't have your normal Maslow's hierarchy of needs taken care of, <laughs> well, like what good is a week of therapy going to do you, right? right? So there's that angle. And then there's, okay, you do have your needs taken care of from a practical perspective, but the introspection is really, really difficult for people and having support and breaking out of the stigma that the media and culture has created over the past 25 years. It's it's a really, really, really tall order. And I think we'll get there, but it's slow going and um, we're, we're at the very beginning of this. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you, you're battling big pharma. Uh, so <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough uh, one for sure. Um, a few things I want to jump back to, including I'm going to say it out loud for now. We'll come back to that pin in serotonin because that that piece is pretty interesting mm-hmm. about the recent kind of kind of research that has come out. But we did kind of skip over a little bit of your story. I did want to jump back because having listened to your you so on so many recent episodes, um, doing all the research, I'm like I've heard your story 700 times. I know you've told your story, you know, 7,000 times. Um, <laughs> so we skipped over the chop thing. We'll, we'll you know, yeah. chop champion. Um, I, I know that always is fun to talk about and comes up, but uh, just to, to come back to one of the questions I got uh, from uh, one of my friends here is, uh, A, what led you to uh, co- finally starting to and deciding to come off of the mm-hmm. medication? And so I'll, I'll do my best to summarize it because um, I know you've told it so many times. Um, I'm, and- I'm happy to do it too. <laughs> well, well, go for it then. Go for it. Yeah, sure. Um, so 
it was kind of an amalgamation of things that happened at the same time. I, I just turned 30 and my dad died when I was 15. So I was starting to just have this realization that, you know, I will have, the older I get, I will have spent more time without my father than I had with him, which was an interesting, you know, uh, apex to pass. And then furthermore, I realized, oh, well, shit, I will now have also been drugged for more of my life than not. And that really didn't sit well with me, especially because I wasn't doing well. I was extremely depressed. I was having suicidal thoughts. I, you know, if antidepressants were working, they were doing a bad job because I was still very depressed. And that was just kind of the light bulb that went off in my head was I shouldn't be this depressed while on this many psychiatric drugs. That kind of coincided with this opportunity to travel around the world for a year that dropped into my lap kind of out of the blue. And I was having some memory problems at the time um, that we think were associated with the long-term antidepressant use. Like my business partner says she would tell me something and we'd have a conversation and I would completely forget it and not do whatever I had agreed to do. My mother was reporting similar things where we'd have a conversation about something and it would be out of my head the next day. And I didn't really realize this was happening. So I didn't want to travel the world for a year and one, forget it all. And then two, I didn't want to risk having to source these drugs in various pharmacies all across the world. All across the world. Um, so I just kind of said, you know, maybe it's time to see what I'm like without them. You know, I'm not doing well on them. So maybe I need new medication. Maybe I need nothing. Like, who knows? So I saw a psychiatrist and she, I mentioned her earlier, she wasn't particularly supportive. And it was the only time I had met with her. And she just said, okay, we'll stop going off them one at a time. So I was effectively pulled off cold turkey, which is terrible, terrible advice. And if I knew what I knew now, like that would not have been okay, but I didn't know. So I followed her advice and that's kind of when things started breaking open. But it really took quite the severe kind of, you know, knock on the head for me to get there because until then I had really believed that, until then I had believed if I'm this depressed on antidepressants, how depressed and like scary might I be off them? That was what I thought. It just took a really long time to realize maybe the question I should be asking is why am I still this depressed on antidepressants? Like this isn't working. How can we address the situation differently? So that was the shift that occurred. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of um, really powerful stuff there. <laughs> so yeah. And, and at the end of the day, uh, I, I wanted to come back to at the end of the book you did, and it's, this is not medical advice, folks, disclaimer. <laughs> Um, and I think you, you, you are did. a doctor, though, but not that I am a doctor, not a <laughs> not going to talk about, uh, yes, mental health. Uh, sorry, you don't like that term, uh, psychiatric disorders and yeah. getting people on and off medications. But the, the term you talk about that, that, uh, in the afterward, I believe, was the mm -hmm. hyperbolic tapering that research has now come to talk about. If you just want to, um, mm -hmm. give folks a little bit, and again, this is not medical advice, folks. Uh, every, <laughs> every situation is different. Uh, we will always talk about that, obviously, but. I do think uh, one thing that we learned, I learned from your story is, you know, if you do have better resources, if you do have better tools and you're a more educated consumer, um, that was a quote I wanted to say, I think I missed it. Uh, and I wanted to come back to, uh, it, it, I, it comes up a lot in the nutrition space. So I just had Rob Wolf on here. I give him a little yes. bit of credit, I think. Um, and the quote that comes out of that is, it is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Mm -hmm. And at some point you have to take responsibility rather than saying, oh, well, this happened to me and that person told me this. And, and again, like if you're 15 and a minor, there's a reason you should not 
you're not making those decisions. Again, the other joke in a lot of stand-up comedy is like uh, the college and you're, you're taking a 17 year old and they're deciding uh, to take on this hundred thousand dollar debt that mm -hmm. is going to impact the rest of their lives. And like uh, there, there's something wrong there, but anyway, uh, yeah. So sorry to bring it back to hyperbolic tapering. If you, if you want to just um, dive a little into that. Yeah, sure. And um, yeah, I, I think that one of the big hopes that I have for my book is that it will actually help people have better conversations with their doctor. You know, like there's, there's no world in which I am the, I'm telling people what to do. It's not it, but I do hope that this book can be or can, can be a catalyst for conversation. And especially for the research when it comes to tapering off of these drugs, because um, it is, even though some psychiatrists are starting to understand and starting to get a little bit more information about this, it's still really not out there in a way that it needs to be. And there are so many people who are being unnecessarily harmed uh, because simply because their doctors don't know. It's not because they're terrible people. It's just because it's it, there's so much information out there and so many things to keep up with. So the the current research that's being done, a lot of it's coming out of the UK. Um, the US is shockingly, you know, super okay. far behind, super far behind on this topic. But a lot of this is coming out of the UK and Europe. And the the phrase for it is called hyperbolic tapering. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's a smaller and smaller dose reduction. So the easiest way to to describe this is if you're on 100 milligrams of a drug. Instead of going down, like, let's say the, the next pharmaceutical uh, dosage that you could get by going to a standard pharmacy is 75 milligrams, hyperbolic tapering says that's too, that's too big of a drop, that the brain cannot adjust uh, reasonably fast enough to not create a whole bunch of side effects. So the way to mitigate that is smaller dosages. So hyperbolic is typically about a 10% reduction. So the first time you you do your dose down, you would start at 100 milligrams, 10% of that, you get rid of 10 grams of it. So you'd take 90 for however long you and your doctor decide. And then once it's time to step down again, you take 10% of 90 milligrams. So we go down by nine grams. Now we're at now we're at uh, 81 grams. The next time 10% of that, you go down by 8.1. And it creates this curve where you end up going through shorter and shorter um, or smaller and smaller dose reductions as you get down to the bottom, because what's been found in the research is that the hardest part of actually getting off these drugs for people is going to zero. So it's going from 100 to zero is, you know, more or less just as bad as going from 10 to zero very, yeah. sometimes. And so that the strategy with this is that by the time you get down to dropping down to zero, you have so little of this drug left in your system that it shouldn't cause nearly as many side effects. Um, this isn't a perfect theory. It's There's a lot of logistical challenges with it, including like you can't get custom uh, drug prescriptions direct from the pharmaceutical companies. So if they only offer 175, 50 and 37.5 milligrams of a drug, what are you supposed to do there? And the answer to that is one, uh, some people are literally at home with drug scales and tweezers and they, depending on the drug, are cracking open pills and measuring out beads one at a time. I mean, it's insane that so many people are having to do this in order to get off these incredibly common drugs, but it is what's happening. Um, the better, the better option is compound pharmacies. There are pharmacies that you can, that will actually make specialized compound uh, solutions or uh, capsules of certain drugs. So 
you can get your 81 milligrams without having to cut it up at home. But each of the drugs are different. You can't, you know, for a capsule, it's one thing to open up and count the beads. But for a pill, you can't necessarily cut them in half because if you do, sometimes you'll break the chemical chain that has the time release. Like it's really complicated. You really need someone who knows what they're talking about here. And there's simply not enough education from both a pharma pharmacological and a psychiatric and, I mean, God, general practitioners that are prescribing these things like crazy. There's just not enough education for them to know how to sell, safely tape, taper people off of these drugs. And so that's that's really what I'm here to do. Like, I'm not here to tell people whether or not they should take antidepressants. It, everyone's on their own journey. These drugs are not going away. But there is almost no support and no research to get people off them. And I think that is a huge shame given how many people are suffering on them or who want to come off them just to know what it's like to live, live an unmedicated life. So that's what I hope the book does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the other piece I, I think I'll add to that uh, from your own words is is the fact that, um, or, or the advice, I guess, is before going on it, make sure there is a plan to get off of it. Uh, mm -hmm. So if it's like, hey, let's try this for three months, and there might be a little bit of a withdrawal symptom, uh, yeah. you know, and, and having that expectation versus just saying, you're depressed now, let's put you on this, mm -hmm. and we'll keep changing. And again, you talk a little about your journey and, and uh, of like, well, you started taking this cocktail of stuff, and then you had gut reactions, and so they put you on a gut pill yep. and you can just keep doing it. And then again, even during the withdrawal concept, when you had that first talk, she was like, well, we can put you on Prozac to deal with the withdrawal symptoms. Like, yeah. I don't want to put any more pills in my body. You have the math of like, you know, <laughs> I've taken whatever, I don't, I don't want to mess up the number, but it's like, I've taken more pills than days I've been alive. Oh yeah. Um, like, like multiple times. Yeah. No, yeah. Three, four times so, yeah. 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 So it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a crazy system. And I think that's one of the other big, big takeaways again is like, uh, don't, go into this. And, and that's one of the things I talk about on my demand better podcast. Like if you're starting personal training and not to keep making, you know, making this analogy, but that's what we say. Like, if there's no assessment, if there's no game plan, like, what are you doing? You're just, you're just there to show up and be like, I did Peloton. My legs felt like they burned a little cool. I feel good about it. And then yeah. it's like, but what is the plan five years from now, 10 years from now, where are you going to be doing? Like, there's no, there's no getting better there. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah. One of my friends here commenting, Mandy, saying, brave girl, really important conversation. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Mandy. Um, Mandy, she's in Ireland, Germany. I always forget where you are, Mandy, traveling around the world. Yeah. Uh, she, yeah. I just want to pop in and, and, and add on to what you just said. I think that one of the things that this experience has really brought to light with me um, is that me medicine has changed. It is not even what it was when, you know, I'm 36. It's not even what it was in the 90s where it, it's just, it's changed so much between the insurance system and the way hospitals and doctors get paid. And, you know, there's a huge doctor shortage. And it what has happened is that the role of doctors is not what it used to be. And so the patient needs to have a lot more agency in their health in a way that, yeah, maybe we shouldn't, maybe that, maybe that's crap that we have to do that, but we do. And it's again, like, I'm going to make a physical analogy here because it's completely relevant. But so I had so many gut problems from all my years of antidepressants and they have continued. And so I was having just an awful time 
getting any sort anywhere with regular doctors to fix the gut stuff. Um, you know, I'd been told to try the low FODMAP diet and like get a colonoscopy and maybe, you know, cut out coffee and, um, you know, eat more fiber. That's pretty much <laughs> over five years, what I had been told to do over these really kind of debilitating symptoms. And I just didn't buy it. So what I did is I finally just took some money out of savings and I paid out of pocket for the tests that I wanted to get. Mm. And what came up was, was awful. I had, you know, I had, I'm not, I don't need to go to the details, but let's just say I had about four or five really severe things ranging from infections to parasites mm-hmm. um, that were uh, causing all of these problems. And it was probably because my gut had been so wrecked over the years, it couldn't fight any of this stuff. But once we figured it out, because I paid for it, I was able to start treating it. So mm-hmm. nine months goes by, I want to get a follow-up test on this. I went to my GP in hopes that I could do it through insurance this time. She looked at my test and the first thing she said was one, this is too advanced for me. Mm. And two, even if I wanted to order these tests, I can't. My system will not let me order it. And I don't know where you can go anywhere in town with about half a million people who can get them. To me, that just sheds such a light on what's going on in medicine right now, where here's this person who's supposed to be the expert, but because she is seeing dozens of people a day, she cannot she cannot be the expert in every single topic. And she certainly can't be the expert in the things that matter to me. So what does that mean? It means I have to find a way to be the expert. And mm-hmm. I need to have enough humility to know that I'm not going to get all the answers from Google. But if I can bring her information and say, this is what we have. This is where we need to go. Like, what do you think? Can we work together? That's how people are going to start actually getting better, whether or not it's mental or physical health. But to put all of your hope on a doctor who's overstressed, overworked, underpaid, especially in the post-pandemic world, like you're just kind of asking not to get anywhere. And so I think it I think we have to be working more together and stop putting these people in unrealistic expectations because they're only human too. Yeah, hundred percent. And that goes back to this, you know, every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. And to your point about the change in medicine, a lot of people forget uh, that we talk about being in practice. It's a medical practice. We are literally no one. It's, it's scary to talk about, but you know, we are practicing on every patient. Um, you know, like we do the best we can. We're making the most informed decision. Uh, do no harm is the first rule of all medicine, but, and that's, and I, I forgot that's actually, you have in Latin, the beginning of the book. Uh, yeah, it's a little cheeky. (laughs) Well, you know that, but it's very relevant as we come back to that point, uh, not for Justin. Um, (laughs) but yeah, primum non. No, sir. I don't know that I can show up. That's, um, but yeah, I, I I did have to translate. I did not know the exact, Mm -hmm. uh, Latin, but. Yeah, it's it's uh, do no harm. And again, I think being critical of all these professionals, um, you know, I have my gripes with like the chiropractors in, of the world. But at the same time, I know plenty of chiropractors who I would trust my body with way before a lot of physical therapists just based on getting to know them and all that stuff. But from a big concept, um, it, it, it seems like, yeah, there's folks who unfortunately are just doing a disservice and you, you hear some of these stories. And a lot of times with the way I practice very non-traditional medical model, uh, I end up getting people who are 10 practitioners down kind of like your story. And, and, and they're like, Oh, I saw a chiropractor and he kept cracking my back and like, didn't really fix anything. I saw a, uh, my GP or my orthopedist Mm -hmm. and they gave me injections in my knee and similar kind of thing of like, everyone's trying to kick this can down the road and just deal the best they can with Mm -hmm. what they're seeing in front of them. But yeah, the system is 
you know, even in the stories you tell, I have, I do have uh, sympathy for the, the physicians, uh, mm -hmm. the psychiatrists you talk about, like, she certainly could have been more human. And I think I, I take little notes as I read. I don't know if I have too much sympathy for her. <laughs> I think she fell into the category of just crappy ones, but I just know they're not all. Crappy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But you know, even the, even the front desk person, that's the thing is like, you know, and, and unfortunately, like, again, most consumers just don't know. And that's the thing. Uh, you know, I start having political arguments. And it's like our, the American healthcare model is ranked really low for how much we spend on it. I think we have the worst like outcomes versus spending uh, of any system. Mm -hmm. And also the other scary part of all this is again, because we keep kicking this can down the road, I believe the estimate is by 2030, healthcare spending will exceed GDP and maybe the system needs to break before we change anything. So that's a whole nother scary piece to this whole thing. Um, yeah, again, I think we can talk about the problems of healthcare for quite some time. I was actually, if anyone saw me on the video, um, I was looking to see if I could find the photo, our team photo uh, of uh, when we were competing at regionals. There's oh, like gosh. that little photo shoot we did where we're like yeah. trying to be really, really serious. And on my phone somewhere. We, I, yeah, I, <laughs> we'll have to find that one. Bad. Um, Right. So badass. So badass. Um, that was a fun time. Uh, but I did want to I want, I want to talk about simpler time, right? When simpler time. Know, working out was really just the big. I have it right here. I don't oh, know she if, found it. I don't know if you're, if you're, I don't know if you're in this one, but that is one of the ones we did. That is one of the ones. You're not in that one. I don't know where you were. Got yeah, cut what off. happened there? Look at us. Where, where so did I go? So where 20 years go? old and just, you know, <laughs> to look good and squat big. No other I, problems. <laughs> young, dumb, and full of, if you know the same. Creatine, um, <laughs> yes, that's the one. I wanted, I wanted to, to highlight a passage in the afterword here. Um, and um, well, A, before I did get very excited when I read that dog's name was Negroni, because Negroni is my favorite drink. Um, although I've been recently switching to the, the Boulevardier. I know I always mess that's that one good. up. Those are yeah. good. They've got like the, is that the egg white one? No, no. It's a Negroni, but instead of gin, it's whiskey. Oh. That's the only difference. So it's still sweet vermouth and Campari. And then there's all sorts of versions. People do it with cold brew and stuff like that. But yeah, the simple switch is, and I, and if you go to a bar and you ask for Bulvedere, they'll go to the vodka because there's a Bulvedere right, vodka, yeah. but it's, you have to be precise Bo about the like Boulevard. Yeah. Boulevardier. Boulevardier, yeah. I think. Anyway, I always, I'm still, I'm still learning, but I, I'll make them. It's my cocktail in the house. <laughs> um, but I wanted to ask you if you've seen the movie, uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. I have not. So the passage you write here on page 218, um, you, you wrote, now I want it all. I want all the futures I never had. I want the life I chose and the ones I didn't, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I won't read the whole thing. It's always better in the author voice Wait, of the author. The, that's the movie about the woman who just wants to see her taxes done, right? That's that's sure. That's one way to summarize it. I watched like an hour of it on the plane, <laughs> and I was like, "This is not the right environment for this movie." No. When they were slapping each other with the hot dog fingers, and I was like, "All right, I gotta stop." Um, um, it's so, very weird. It's very weird. This the was recently, like two weeks ago that I saw it. So that's it funny. Well that's after funny. this was written. But that's that's why I bring it up. If you didn't make it to the end of the movie, um, and it's very weird. It's it's incredibly weird. I was like, and and everyone uh, like everyone I saw that I kind of value their opinion on movies was like, this is the most mind-boggling movie I've ever seen. And I started watching it, and I'm like, okay, like it's very weird. Uh, it's incredibly incredibly weird. Um, and I made it through. But the end part, the reason I'm bringing it back to that is 
that is kind of the with a spoiler mm-hmm. alert for anyone who hasn't seen the movie, including you, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> is the fact that that is what it's about. Is she, yeah. she's living, like. she's able to go see, and that's why it's called everything everywhere all at once. It's not just the timeline, but it's uh, all these different lives and different mm-hmm. realities where she's a movie star in one and she's a chef like you um, <laughs> in, in another one. And they have like a rat tattooey uh, funny kind of uh, overlap there. But, uh, but she, but that is what it is. Is like, she was able to see all these other realities mm-hmm. and ultimately the piece is like, I want to choose to live in this one. Cause she, you know, grows to power or whatever. But anyway, the, the way you write that paragraph sure. almost literally is the same like I'm, I'm sure like you know parallel think of uh of, of whatever it is that these guys uh and and i listened to a bunch of their i forgot the name of the filmmakers the 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 dans or the daves they have like the same mm-hmm. first name so they're mm-hmm. whatever but i've listened to them and and so anyway it's it's pretty cool um that anyone who's a fan of that and again i think there's it seems like for some people it's like what the hell is this and uh a lot of people though are like this is the best movie like ever I'm kind of like, it's definitely unique and, and whatever. But anyway, that paragraph yeah. is almost exactly the, the, the plot of that movie. So it's very, yeah, you should, you should become a screenwriter. I'm telling you, it's, there's something there. <laughs> I actually think I'd be, I like, I like dialogue. I think screenwriting would be a better, better medium for me than novel writing. Mm, mm. Um, that kind of reminds me, if you, you said you like dialogue. So um have you heard of or read The Courage to Be Disliked? I have not. That's, it's written, again, in a very unique way. It's based on Adlerian psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of our favorite books by far. And we just got the, there is We didn't even know there was a follow-up called The Courage to Be Happy, similar mm-hmm. to Happiness is a Skill. So I'm mm-hmm. sure there's tons of overlaps there. Um, but it's written as a dialogue between. It makes it much easier to read in a lot of ways, too. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's kind of like a movie script with a, yeah. an older philosopher and like a 20-something young man so uh yeah one of our favorite books by far introduced us to a lot of interesting uh connected you know different versions of psychology especially specifically alfred adler's adlerian uh if you want to get real fancy on it but uh yeah anyway so uh i did i did make the note i did i did want to come back as we're jumping around to the fact that uh most folks who know anything about depression that the basic theory is this chemical problem um, and serotonin was the main molecule that was uh, considered to be the problem. So they would have SSRIs, serotonin, uh, mm-hmm. what? serotonin reuptake, Re- inhibitors. reuptake inhibitors. Yes, selective. That's the word I was looking for. Selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Um, then there was the S. R and norepinephrine. Norepinephrine. antidepressants and MAOIs. But the basic recent research, and the thing with research is, even if it comes out now, it's still going to take, you know, traditionally seven to 14 years for, even if the research is really strong and definitive, for it to become part of kind of standard practice. So it takes a while to, to, and I heard you talk about it on um, the other uh, show you just did. We were just talking about before uh, about the movie. The medicating normal. Medicating normal. Thank you. <laughs> um, of the fact, I think that's where you were talking about the fact that you want to get this into the hands of medical schools, and that's where we can really start to change the system. Um, and so, in terms of the impact we can have and things like that, it's really powerful. And again, I'm just so glad you were here. I'm hoping to amplify this. And again, for folks, I haven't actually talked to Brooke in a very long time. Um, and she just sent out a random email as anyone does who publishes a book, like, Hey, help me get on the New York times bestseller list. 
Um, <laughs> I was like, hey, I have the smallest platform experience here. emailing 300 people. I never haven't talked to you in years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm always looking for an excuse to catch up with folks. <laughs> Um, on my Facebook, I always send like a little birthday thing, like, Hey, how you been? And again, on Facebook, you know, probably 90 something percent of people don't really care to be like, Hey, let's catch up. Um, so it's nice to finally be able to do that. And, and, you know, but at the end of the day, again, this message is, I, I think it's super vital. Um, you know, I, I think that there's tons of messages these days that like, you know, we want to talk about racial issues. We want to talk about gender issues. We want to talk about all these different things politically, but um, this is still one of the ones that I think affects such a large amount of people. Mm -hmm. And again, for anyone listening, I would bet either, you know, there's probably a handful of folks that are dealing with this that you either don't know about. I bet a lot of people are tuning into this because they are, uh, dealing with it themselves or some version of it. And again, I have a child on the way. Um, you know, my hope is that if at any time my child needs to deal with some of these things, like we have more resources and tools available and we can have a better, more nuanced conversation about it, which I do think is missing uh, right now. So yeah, you know, we wanna make this kind of industry standard. Yeah, uh, yeah, my big ask generally is if there's anyone out there who has, you know, influence on med school curriculums, please reach out. Um, this book, it is not, it's not a pop science book. It is not, it's not packed with research. There's a little bit in the end, but it's really pure memoir and it's designed, it's designed to help practitioners and patients recognize antidepressant withdrawal for what it is rather than a reemergence of a, or an emergence of a new psychiatric illness or perhaps a relapse of the old one. Um, that, that is, that is my main goal with getting it into doctor's offices is, you know, they have books like um, an unquiet mind, which is about bipolar, I believe. Bipolar, yes, an unquiet mind, uh, and the bell jar, you know, about depression and unquiet mind about bipolar. And the reason why they prescribe these to med people in med school and psychiatric residents is so they can have an understanding of what it's like to be in the patient's brain when mm. they're working through these issues. We don't have anything like that for antidepressants. You mean control. it's not the little sad egg with the little it's rain not the on sad it. egg. Yeah, it's not the sad egg getting rained on. You know that. It's yeah. just shocking how that little <laughs> that little cartoon egg has basically changed the course of mental health treatment in this country. And it's really sad. But um, I, I just hope that the book can give everyone more empathy. And I mean that from patients, patients for themselves who feel crazy and don't know that what they're going through is a chemical reaction. Right. And for practitioners to understand that, especially like it's it's not just psychiatrists. It's really important in emergency rooms. I mean, the half-life of Effexor is less than 24 hours. If right. you're in for a gunshot wound or because you were in a car accident and you start going into Effexor withdrawal, you're one of these people who's going to go through it and your doctor doesn't know that, things are going haywater, water, haywire in your body that's going to affect your treatment. And if they don't know what that drug can do to people, well, you're going to have problems. So it's so important in emergency rooms. It's super important for OBGYNs who are prescribing this stuff to either mothers who are pregnant or for mothers having, you know, who have just had kids. Like it's just so much more important than, 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 than is currently given weight for across all political spectrums, all races, all, pra all practitioners. Um, it, 
I feel like I'm beating my head against the wall constantly trying to get the message yeah. out there despite how widespread this stuff is, but that's, mm -hmm. that's the goal. And I hope that it has legs long-term. Yeah. And I think it needs to, and it really is again, battling, you know, it's big pharma. It's not little pharma. It's, it's, it's a big thing. And uh, you know, again, just thinking of what random network I have of folks, I do have folks in physical therapy schools. I know um, I do have some medical doctors and, and I do believe there might be some stuff. So I'll, I'm going to think about that offline. Um, I did have, Rebecca Griffith, who's a physical therapist. She's in, in a hospital though. She's the ED, DPT. And ED usually stands for erectile dysfunction, not in this particular mm -hmm. case. It's the emergency department, um, which most people think of ER the show. It's not really a room. So that mm -hmm. was her big thing. It's not a room, folks. It is a department. Um, so the ED, DPT, uh, but yeah, she's a, you know, it, it's a whole nother thing that physical therapists should be the folks. You sprain your ankle, you have a back, some back issues. Hey, Go see the physical therapist. We're going to save you possibly from having to go on opioids and all these other things. Yeah, you need an active solution. Mm -hmm. um, we did get a quick, a, a long, not so quick testimony. I just put it up on the screen there. It's a little too long to read. I'm going to take that off. Sorry. Um, we'll, read, we'll read it later. But that's a, a friend of mine from high school. Uh, or no, he has the same name. Not D. Mike, David Mike, different person. Uh, but uh, uh, I'm not going to read it right now. Um, or that's spam. That might very well be spam. Oh, yeah, there's Illuminati. <laughs> I saw Illuminati. I saw Illuminati. I was like, okay. I, I thought he was sharing his testimony. And, and anyway, Mother Rose. Okay, cool. Yeah, never mind, folks. Um, <laughs> that was a fun one. Yay, technology. Uh, big Pharma's trying to shut us down, yo. Big Pharma's coming. Um, but anyway, there's a lot of cool conversations. I feel like we can, we can dive down different paths of this. But I definitely want to see, uh, at the end of the day, if we can make some change with this. So, again, uh, you know, we, we, this is just a scratch of the surface, hopefully, and, and we can definitely um, see if we can push push some of these narratives um, that, again, you know, that's what I call my business fit care. I want to blend fitness and healthcare because there's problems with both sides of it. And there's the Demand Better podcast, which, again, I don't know if we need to, you, we're going to say a lot of the same stuff there, but, uh, you know, we might be able to get you some some different voices there and, and, and ears there. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, a lot going on here. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> thank you for coming on, Brooke. I know uh, you're, you're doing your whirlwind tour there. Um, and again, we, we only very briefly talked about the Chopped episode. and, and uh, <laughs> Yeah, you can still lighten up the conversation by watching me uh, compete on Chopped. It's on Hulu, yes. season 32, episode 6. It's very entertaining, 45 minutes. I, I found it on YouTube TV, so it's available awesome. there. Um, yeah, I did have to, I was like, 52 seasons? Jeez. I know. They do like three seasons a year. And they're giving out $10,000 each episode. Uh, mm -hmm. That's crazy. Uh, I don't know if they did that for all of them or whatever. But yeah, anyway, um, I'm sure they make it back pretty easily. <laughs> um, if anyone wants to see Brooke drop a crab and then serve it is what they'd look like. Um, and they wouldn't let me serve it. It's nah, very rude. I know. Uh, <laughs> um, and again, she talks about that. It's funny. I did go. I, I use an app to track which episodes I see. So I, I went to track that and somebody complained about you. And was like, she should have gotten eliminated every round or whatever. And I was like, and, and they were like, the judges hated her. Why do they keep her on? And I was like, uh, if you're familiar at all with television, uh, they probably shot like 12 hours. I think I've heard you say. And, this you know, is why you don't Google cool. yourself. I haven't heard that guy talk, but I'm pretty okay. It was that. a random, you know, whatever. I, I defended you. I was like, hey, I know her. And, you know, I was like, yeah, it's not, it is what it is. But yeah, um, you know, you can even see the dishes, though. The French guy who was like, it sound, it almost seemed unfair because he's like, I've studied with, you know, uh, all, Anthony Bourdain and all these other guys and whatever. And like, and, and then his pasta dish, that did not look good. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, you still keep in touch. You, I think I've heard you say with uh, the second place guy. Yeah, yeah. His name is Doug Wetzel. He, uh, he, he I haven't, we haven't spoken too much really since pre the pandemic, but um, he, he's based in Baltimore and it's just like the nicest human. On seemed the like it. Yeah, he definitely seemed like it. And, and uh, yeah, very cool. So yeah, I mean, those, I know, you know, I've known a lot of folks who've gone on random shows like that. And one of Editing my- Editing is real. <laughs> Editing is real. Uh, it's funny, one of my um, childhood neighbors, uh, he was trying to become an actor. He's a funny guy. And he went on like every possible, whatever, it was a dating show. It was a, he went on America's Worst Cooks, um, which is a, another Food Network show, I think with, um, uh, I forgot everyone's names, but anyway. Uh, but yeah, it, it was really funny seeing him and, and hear him talk, tell some of the behind the scenes stories. But yeah, those shows are always, they're entertaining on their own, obviously, but at the same time, mm -hmm. there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that, you know, we don't mm -hmm. get to see. So something for folks to to walk away with. So yes, thank you again for being on here. I want to be respectful of your time. We're going to make it so, under the, the hour. Um, I want to, I got to find that photo of our, of our photo, you know, team photo shoot. Um, oh, something. that one. Yeah. I don't have those. Those are from no. like, I had, I had a, that was the year I had a Samsung phone. And <laughs> I was impressed how quickly you found like, that one though. Yeah, that was, uh, that was fun. Yeah, I, I know they're somewhere. Uh, I probably have them saved somewhere. I don't know no, anymore, but somewhere. <laughs> somewhere, yeah. I, that's what I was. I was trying to search for it as I, you know, I was listening to you. I was, I was multitasking. I'll admit. Um, but tell folks where the best places are to find you. Um, and and uh, yeah, thank you again. Uh, so Brookseem, B-R-O-O-K-E-S-I-E-M, one word. That's on Twitter which I don't really tweet, but it's there. Instagram, which is where I'm at the most. Also my website, brookseam.com. Um, I also have a newsletter called Happiness is a Skill, which comes out twice a month. It's basically about the skill of happiness. We cover a lot of different sorts of um, stuff there, everything from research to philosophy to just general musings, whatever we find. Um, and yeah, that's it. And then my book may cause side effects can be found wherever books are sold. It's available through Barnes and Noble, um, Barnes and Noble, local bookstores, et cetera, in the U S in Canada, you can get it through Indigo, uh, the UK it's available through foils, I believe, and down in booktopia in Australia. And then if you get the book, please, please, please leave a rating and review. That's always an author's, um, thorn in our side to try and make the algorithms happy with reviews. So. <laughs> where, where are the best on that? Like on Amazon? I, I know I've left some reviews there. Is that the best place wherever you buy it? Um, for art or for, for authors, Amazon reviews are really valuable because you, mm -hmm. again, you feed the Amazon monster, um, right. more reviews they see, the more likely they are to make sure your book is, you know, promoted. Mm -hmm. So that is always really important. You know, Barnes and Noble doesn't really have a reading review system that's in the same way. So Cool. And Amazon, you know, everyone orders from Amazon now, so kind of can't yeah. knock it too much. So, awesome. Yes. Thank you. All right. All right. Well, well, so oh, our friend Jess just gave a thumbs up and a wave. Um, she had some questions, but <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll, we might we might have to connect y'all offline. That's all right. So, yes, thank you again. Uh, everyone go check out Brooke. Get the book. Uh, it does rhyme. That's fine. I'm doing it. I'm doing it unintentionally. Um, but yeah, I hope you got 1% better. Don't forget to share this with someone who you think might benefit from it. Again, I'm confident there's people in your life if you're listening to this who are dealing with some version of this, unfortunately. And it's it's definitely under-talked about, under-reported. Um, and so, yeah, this is very, very vital to um, spread this message. And again, just 
bring at least empathy to the conversation and, and bring some understanding to it. So yeah, with that, uh, we're going to sign off. And again, folks, uh, hope you got 1% better and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. And ending broadcast.